Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Horn with Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Thanks for listening to this podcast on the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm here with Chad Diller. He's Director of Client Success at Landscape Leadership, a sales and marketing agency with, uh, Chad, you'd say a lot of green industry clients? It's all green industry clients. All green industry. So focus on green industry clients. Chad, thanks for joining me today. Sure. I appreciate you having me on, Brian. So I have Chad on today to discuss an interesting survey that they did uh, recently called The Biggest Challenges Faced by In-House Marketers at Lawn and Landscape Companies. Chad, just give me some background on the survey, who was surveyed, why you did it, et cetera. We work with, like you said, a bunch of green industry companies, lawn care companies, landscape companies. They can be design build or a commercial maintenance, tree care companies, applications companies, irrigation, all that. And I have a lot of conversations. So whether it's a prospective client that we're getting to know or clients that we've worked with for a number of years, you start to develop these assumptions and collect some data and have some information. And we thought it would be really helpful to validate some of the concerns that I think a lot of people in the industry are facing. We have about 6,000 blog subscribers. So what we did is we reached out to about a thousand of them who have indicated some point in the past that they have marketing duties as a significant chunk of their role at the green industry company they work at. And so we wanted to reach out to those people to verify some suspicions and experiences that we've had and heard about to find out, are there collective problems that most of the industry is facing, um, specifically people in these roles? And I know that I find out from my experience, which I think we'll probably get into at some point in time here in the past, and I think a lot of people can identify this, we kind of live on these little islands of our companies and we might see something in the distance and recognize something familiar, but I think sometimes it's helpful to see if there's a systemic issue and then you can appreciate the gravity of the problem and start to fix it. And so we found three main things uh, were the primary challenges of people that do marketing for their green industry company. The first one is they don't feel like they have enough time to do a really great job. The second is they don't have a lack of buy-in. And a lot of that is due to the budget that they're given to support what they're supposed to be doing. And the third one is, is that there's just a fundamental misalignment between marketing and sales. And I know we'll get into those a little bit more today, but those were the three suspicions we had already. And they were very much corroborated by the people that we surveyed. Right. Yeah. The common response was the marketing person doesn't have enough time to do a great job or they're split between maybe sales and marketing or they're, they're doing some other roles. Previously in a conversation, you had uh, mentioned your old company that you were able to work with management and the owner to sort of get them to make sure that enough time was being given to marketing. Can you take us through that process or just maybe give some general advice on someone who's in a marketing position and doesn't feel that they're getting supported enough? Sure, no problem. The survey, what we concluded from that is that marketing more times than not turns out to be part of someone's responsibilities. And so what happens is it becomes an afterthought. 60% of the people that we polled said that they spent less than 10 hours a week on marketing. And only 10% of them said they spent um, over 20 hours a week. And so clearly marketing just isn't a priority at the majority of green industry companies. And my experience was I've been blessed to be in this industry since 1998, started out in the field, went into sales for about seven years as an account manager. And that is where I developed a love for marketing. As I saw the things that were being done by outside agencies, often not connected well for our company. And some things started changing within industry, like social media became a thing, blogging became a thing. And I developed this interest and took initiative and was able to start doing that for a company. 
And the company that I work for uh, was about a $13 million company here in Pennsylvania, and they saw the potential for this. And so they said, sure, you want to do it, go ahead and do it. And, and so what I would try to do is in the non-peak season, in the winter and the summer, the dead of summer, I would try to work ahead and do some blog posts. And when I could fit in social posts here and there, I would do that. And it was something that both of us kind of wanted. They recognized within a short period of time, a year or two, that while I was doing that in conjunction with sales, that it would be ideal to take more of this marketing in-house. And one of the suggestions that I remember when they, I pitched it to them, I was like, we should have this full-time marketing person here to do all, all this work. And I was like, yeah, I have somebody in mind me. <laughs> and they were like, okay, you want to spend like 10 hours a week doing this? And I realized at that time that I know myself and I love chasing after exciting and new, the shiny object syndrome sometimes. <laughs> and I was afraid, you know what? I'm going to have such a passion about this. I have so much interest in this. What's going to happen is I'm going to give this all this attention and I'm going to neglect sales or I'm going to be frustrated because I have too much, so much sales duties and I'm not going to be able to really pay attention to marketing. And so I just said, nah, that's not, it's not going to work. And honestly, I gave up about it and they had called in a business consultant to help with other issues in the business. And they identified all these improvement uh, opportunities. And one of the top ones was you need to hire somebody internally to do marketing full time. And so they approached me and came back to me with that. And so that was great. It just worked out well for both of us. And when I first started in that role, it was probably about 90% of what I did was marketing. And I still had like 50 VIP accounts that I just kept schmoozing and, and keeping the, the wheels spinning there. And about 10% of it was sales. And eventually we kind of phased it out and uh, got the other team members to take over those accounts. And from there, it was just all about me developing a proactive plan and measuring results and figuring out new opportunities. They saw that if they didn't take somebody who was passionate about this in the organization, that nobody was going to do it. It was just going to become an afterthought. And fortunately for me and for them, it was just a good fit. I hear from a lot of owners who say, I don't need more work. I need more workers. How can marketing help with recruiting? I mean, and do these business owners, do they really not need more work? Is, is marketing for new customers different than marketing for employees? Kind of. <laughs> I would argue that any company that's saying they don't need no, more work, that they have plenty of work is the thing I'd ask them is, are you really making as much profit as you'd like to? And are your clients really all your ideal fit clients? There are a lot of things that companies are doing for too many different types of customers. They might have a positioning problem. And hence what happens is you end up having a lack of efficiency and profit. There's work that you should be saying no to and a lot more profit that you could make at the end of the day. So marketing, whether you, your client count is topped off or not, is something you should always be doing as a business because you should be replacing those bad fits and the low profit services with things that is going to ultimately make your team love working for you and also make your company a lot of money and recruiting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty similar to marketing. You still have to attract a customer. It just happens to be that this customer is somebody that's seeking a job, not looking for someone to build something or maintain something. But you're still going to have to convert that job seeker into an applicant, just like you would somebody that's on your website and you want them to fill out a form. And you're still going to have to close the sale. In this instance, the sale is you giving an offer to a potential candidate and actually have them show up for the first day of work and be engaged and keep coming back. And then your customer, who's actually your new team members, 
you still have this delight phase where you have like a honeymoon with a new customer where you have to keep them happy. You have to get them engaged. You have them to help them to buy into the vision of what you're trying to accomplish together. And if that happens and you maintain a great relationship, then that's where you get your referrals. Just like you would get a customer referral. You'll have team members that refer their friends to work there. And so a lot of the things that you do for marketing to a prospective client, the overarching principles will apply to recruiting. You had mentioned part of what you did at previous company was uh, you built a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. That's uh, many layers to that, I'm sure. But what makes up a, an effective plan and what are the first you know, couple of steps to getting that in the right direction? When I got hired for that position, I realized that it was my job to convince everybody that that was a good idea. And they were at that time, I had, I think when I started off as like a $200,000 marketing budget and eventually went over 300,000 in a year. And I had to identify problems. I had to show how to fix them. I had to develop a plan. I had to spend the time to do it. And like we said, unfortunately, that that isn't the case when people are in part-time roles. And I also had to get everybody on board to help people understand what we're doing, help them to be enthusiastic about it. And to really look at the bigger picture, like, yeah, we're looking at more business here, but ultimately I want to make you the crew leader. I want to make you love your job more because we're getting better fit clients. I want to have job security. So you don't have to worry about getting laid off in downturns. I have to do all those things. And so a lot of the people that we polled that are in these marketing roles say they have a lot of autonomy and freedom. But what I found is, is that a lot of them don't have a clear direction and you have to have the budget, but then you also have to have the activities plan that are going to yield results so that people say, wow, this is a good idea to have this person in this role and it's working. That's what makes people get excited about it. So when you look at planning a, a marketing plan, it, it is the planning, the activity part, but it's also about meticulously tracking all the expenses. And then for a lot of things, you can calculate an ROI. There are some things that it's just advertising. It's about defending your brand position, but it's really up to you to show what's working and what isn't. And so what, some of the things I did was I got this gigantic spreadsheet and it showed what we budgeted for whatever it was, this radio campaign or this direct mail campaign that went out in the spring, you name it. And what we spent this year, what we spent last year, what was the budget for this year, what the actual was. And I updated it every single month off the expense report. And I also, as I, I looked forward in the year and knew what activities we were going to repeat again, or maybe new initiatives, I would stay way ahead in that. So about 90% of your plan should be well in advance. I mean, you should be planning things three or six months in advance. There's no reason to come up against deadlines all the time and just be completely unprepared. You have to plan ahead. And if you don't do that, what happens is, is you end up being stressed out, not making a lot of insightful decisions, and you miss out on a lot of creativity if you're just trying to get the task done in time. And you have to figure out also who's going to do what. So any company, there will be things that the marketing person does in-house. It's a lot of minutiae, coordinating, making sure things are sent and back and, and pushed out at a certain time frame, getting approvals and that sort of thing. But you also work with all these outside vendors, like people like us that build websites and generate content and do advertising, all that stuff. But then you have print houses and all these other sponsorships and different things you do. And so it's really important to find out like, okay, am I doing this? Is someone else in my team assisting me with this? 
How are we going to make a plan of action to help that happen on time? How am I going to monitor the outside resource that we're using the partner to make sure that they're hitting the timelines that we want? And so the plan is, it all comes back to activities, expenses, and, and ROI to make sure that you actually have a plan. A lot of people that we polled said they really just don't even have a plan. They have a list of a few things they want to do. Right. And you're saying the key, you get that list, but then you've got to have bullet points and subheads below that on actually how to execute it. Yes, absolutely. For ROI, digital is easy. It's, it seems to be easy. You can track where these e-blasts go and, and digital ads and stuff and Facebook and all that stuff. How can you show to the executives or the management team that your approach is working? And then if you are doing door to door hangers, we just finished our grow the market study, which surveyed consumers and 30% of them still said that door hangers are effective way of marketing to them. How do you take all this to, to together and show an ROI to your boss? Well, there are things that, like you said, are very clear. You do a direct mail campaign and what you get out of that. I, I find that a lot of landscape companies, the way that they report on what works is someone on the phone says, how did you hear about us? Or there's a checkbox or a drop down on a website form. And that's the source. But as you and I both know, they may have gotten your postcard, saw your truck in your neighborhood and talked to their neighbor who also uses you. And so then what do you credit as the source for that? So it does get a little murky, but two things that are just extremely important is to send them to a specific place online that's very unique to whatever initiative that you're running, like a landing page that has concise information, just what they need, not your whole website. And you can do that by either printing out the actual website address. I really I loved that. The one thing that good that came out of the pandemic is this resurgent of QR code usage. You took go to the restaurant now and that's how you get the menu and all that. So people are a lot more receptive to scanning that with their phone. It's easier than it was 10 years ago. And so you get that website visit right away accredited to that. The other thing too is call tracking software is fairly inexpensive and easy to set up. And so creating all these different phone numbers that forward to your office, then you can predict the call volume and look at that too. And so there are a lot of things that companies are doing that they're not measuring. And so that's really important is measure the website visits, measure the form submissions, measure the calls that come in. And then in your CRM, look at the back end of this, what's actually selling. And then when you have that information, you won't have a picture of everything. Some of the parts of the picture will be fuzzy, but some of them be very, very clear. And you'll be able to look at that and say, wow, this over here makes a ton of difference in, in our success. And this over here, huh, we're sinking a ton of money into this and I really can't attribute anything to it. And that makes for better future decisions. Right, yes, the, the resurgence of QR codes I found humorous. I remember in 2011, I was on a trip, it's called California Spring Trials. It's where a lot of growers have plants and everyone had these QR codes, but you had to download an app for each company that had the QR code. And now yep. iPhone, you, you take a picture of it. I'm, I don't have an Android. I'm assuming it works similarly for that. Yep. Right into the native camera app. Now it, it mm -hmm. knows when it's pointing at something like that and it'll ask you a prompt and you hit the button and boom, you're right on the website. That was huge. Survey responded 25% said they have no annual marketing budget at all. Is that a matter of they really don't have a budget or it's just let's go along with some stuff and we'll figure out how much you spend? Yeah. Again, I think it's Marketing as an unfortunate rule for a lot of companies is an afterthought. It's how well did we do last year and how much money do we have to throw at the problem next year? And it 
unfortunately doesn't become the front part of that discussion of we need to spend this. And so let's look at all of our other expenses and make sure we have room to properly fund growing our, our business. And yeah, 25% said they have no budget at all. And that's very common. I, I talk to dozens of, of companies every couple of months. And that's the question I ask them right away. What's your marketing budget? And they often kind of beat around the bush and that's common. They are not quite sure. They don't know what to, to allocate, or they might be embarrassed to tell you how little it actually is. How much do you recommend budgeting for marketing? Or if you need an in-house marketing person, then how much to pay them, then how much to budget for what they can spend? Okay. So two questions, how much to budget to marketing and then also salary for a marketing person. I want to handle those differently. So small business administration recommends that you should take seven to 8% of your revenue for if you're under $5 million and allocate that uh, to marketing. So a lot of people are listening to this are like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The larger your company gets, maybe that isn't quite as large. And especially when you start to dominate your market and have a huge market share, you'll have to do things to defend your position and make sure people know that you're still there, but you might not have to do the things that you did when you're in growth mode. And I think about half of the people that we pulled, yeah, about 47% of them said they spend one to 3% of revenue. I would say if you're not doing that, start there and find out what doesn't work. Stop spending money on that and slap more money to the things that you see really work. And so I think when I look back at, at my experience in my last company, we were at two, 3% and we had a great impact because we were analyzing what was going on. A lot of these companies, they're spending less than 1% and then also not paying attention to how things are working. And so that's just a recipe for disaster. So it's really important to do that. And it does really depend on your attitude as a business owner, like how aggressive you want to be. I have clients that spend like 12, 13% because they're super aggressive and they're doing things that they know will give them a return. Uh, So it really depends. As far as hiring someone for a marketing role, again, I would encourage anybody that's listening to this. If you're getting to the point where you are, I would say at least three or $4 million, you really should start considering if you are making the person handling your marketing internally do too many things. It's gonna rob them of passion and focus. And so when you get to that mark, that's probably a good sign that you need to have somebody that most of their role, if not all of it, is coordinating all this marketing. The first hire that I would make is a marketing coordinator was where I started out with the company that I was with. And really that's what you're doing. You're coordinating a lot of things. You're not an expert in a lot of things. You'll learn things along the way, but you're relying on outside experts, print people, graphic designers, content creators, website designers, advertising agencies, all that. And then as your company grows, maybe you advance to a level in your marketing expertise where you could actually be like a marketing director and have some people underneath you that are coordinating that. And so the entry level salary, again, it varies for market. I hate to make generalizations, but the person that you're hiring to do that should be probably around $50,000 a year. If you hire anybody less than that, they might not have the type of expertise or organizational skills or passion that you're looking for, but you could certainly pay someone over a hundred thousand dollars in a marketing role. If they're doing higher level expertise things or taking some of that work from outside vendors and actually doing some of the mechanics themselves, like running social campaigns, creating email campaigns, doing that sort of thing. Right. The last thing I wanted to touch on was another 25% of respondents 
said they believe they communicate and work well with those on the sales team to drive growth for the company. 25% is not a lot. So no. how do you align sales and marketing? Well, there's some practical things that you can do here. I mean, that, that's sad. I mean, it's 75% of people are in a marketing role and feel like the sales team has no appreciation for what they do, no connection, no support. And that's really unfortunate. I, I think salespeople, I mean, I was a salesperson, you're busy. You got estimates to get out, calls to get back, fires to put out, all kinds of things to do. And so you're generally fixated on all the stuff you need to do and the, and the customers. And a lot of times salespeople, they're just, they have no clue what marketing is doing. And the other thing that I've seen in the past too, is maybe there's a certain type of service that your company offers, or maybe it's a certain client subset, like the commercial business or whatever it is. And you always have some of these people on a sales team that feel kind of slighted because the marketing budget isn't devoted to what they want to sell or what will support them. Really, that's not the marketing person's job to explain to them why that serves the best interests of the company. That's the company owner's or the company leadership's job to explain to them, listen, these are the priorities and these are the reasons and try to help them to get on board because that creates some friction between sales and marketing. It's also really important to work together. The marketing person shouldn't be down the hall in an office and not be part of the sales meetings or part of the discussions. Like, those discussions, the collaboration should give them ideas and inspiration of how they can support the sales team, help them to get better customers, help them to get better leads. The marketing person and the company also should be giving regular updates. Like we got X amount of leads in for this type of business. Joe over here, he closed this much. boy, This is awesome. They need that feedback because there's so many activities, especially if you're working like in residential there's so many activities that you probably don't see the impact that good marketing is making on your success. And so that's really important to regularly communicate that and help salespeople see that you're for them. You're trying to help them make more money and to grow. The other thing that's really important is, is that I see this over and over again, even for companies that have sophisticated marketing programs, is that they'll develop all these really great assets, videos, content, that people can download, blog articles, pages on the website, portfolios, all this stuff. And the salespeople, a lot of times will be out there doing the old school thing where they're relying on their personality and a, and a pitch deck or a proposal to sell the services. And they are not leveraging the power of these assets that are out there, or just including them in an email or asking people to check this out or whatever. And so a lot of times marketing, the way that you can kind of unite the two departments in the one is to Show them that you're creating them not just to generate leads, but also to help them close deals more easily. And as you work together in these meetings and have discussions and get ideas, then that will help to make you feel like you're all part of one cohesive team. And there has to be intentionality to do that. And it has to be multiple times. You have to communicate, hey, we made this video. And you can't just say that on Wednesday and move on. I, I find like even here, you have to communicate what you're doing to sales multiple times because they are busy. They're probably getting heat. You're not making your numbers. We got to make profit. So how often do you recommend communicating the different stuff you as a marketer are doing? I think a couple of times a month it's, is ideal. And, and it's not even just communicating, hey, we created this. I'm telling you this meeting, next meeting. It's about coming back to all these things. Again, as you're you're talking through these problems, like we don't have enough maintenance leads and you remember a year ago that you developed some sort of asset, say, hey, this is how you compare landscape maintenance companies. It's, it's an interactive tool on our website or something someone can download. 
you guys should put that in your email when you send the follow-up email to your clients. And we have all these things we spent thousands of dollars for, use them to your advantage and help yourself close more deals. And, and so it's a matter of keeping those resources, the marketing person, keeping them fresh in their mind and trying to create different opportunities to remind the salespeople of how to use that stuff. And then reporting back to them, like this works, this is really helping this person over here. You guys should check this out too, as well. Cool. Chad, that was uh, it for my questions. Anything else that you wanted to add? No, I just appreciate our relationship over the years, Brian. It's been great to see you and love the content that Lawn Landscape puts out and appreciate the opportunity. If anybody is interested in reading through this survey, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Just look for Chad Diller and I'd be happy to just message you and send you a link to this article. It's it's one that we published, uh, I think about halfway through May, if you go to our blog as well and any other resources that you'd be interested in, I'd be happy to direct you to them. Yeah, but I was just going to say it's at landscapeleadership.com, correct? You got it. Cool, Chad. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today and I'll see you uh, hopefully at our technology show in August. All right. See you, Brian. Yeah.